He uses difficulty as a way of revealing to us what we're made of. Difficulty reveals what we really believe, what we really are made of, and what we really want. Hey there, friend. Welcome to the podcast today. I have a great topic with a great guest. He's a leader of a global missions sending agency. Have you ever thought about this? God is gritty. He is gritty in his patience with us in pursuing his plan of redemption and the restoration of all things. He uses difficulty in our lives to reveal what we believe. We're going to talk about that today. He surfaces in us what we really want, aspirations for greatness. We are created in his image, and God wants us to pursue greatness for his name, his fame, his glory and story. So the question for us is, are we going to hold on? Are we going to grow and develop and reach higher levels of destiny in all things, relationships, friendships, marriage, business, our career, our calling, the kingdom contribution that we are destined to bring to the table, the truth The truth is that it's a long pull in the same direction, and we're going to have to be disciplined and keep plotting to build something that endures. This is Brian Del Turco. Thanks for listening today to Jesus Smart, the podcast, episode 126. Here's the title, Before You Quit, Your Story of Blood, Sweat, and Coffee Stains. Yes, coffee. And we have with us today Doug Gaiman. He's the leader of a global mission sending agency. You can see the show notes page for this episode to go deeper at jesusmart.com slash keep sweating for links and resources mentioned today. Now, are you ready to be coached up, coached up to stay on the field, to win? Here's my conversation with Doug Gaiman. I um, have a guest today. I think you're going to be very excited about this. And we're going to be talking about grit and perseverance and endurance and not quitting. And before we get into the bio with Douglas Gaiman, he's the president of Globe International, a mission sending agency. Doug, can we say that God is gritty? That's a really good question, but I would say absolutely. I mean, especially especially reflected, number one, in his patience with humanity. Um, uh, You know, you see that throughout the scripture, even before the time of Christ, uh, God was very patient with his people through times that, you know, you hear people quippily say, well, if I were God, I would have never put up with us during that time, you know. So yes, God is, he has an outcome that he is working towards. Uh, God is on a mission. This is missiological talk here. Uh, the Bible has a theme from the very beginning, beginning with Abraham. You can see it, even marks of it in creation, the fall. God has this mission that is, he, is, he has started, he's instituted, and he has patiently worked it out. So God is definitely gritty. And then you see the same in Jesus, uh, his patient walk especially through the three years of ministry prior to going to Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem, the experience was never um, 
was never a surprise to Jesus. It was to his disciples, but not to him. He knew that's where he was headed. Yeah, doesn't the scripture say that he set his face like flint toward Jerusalem, knowing what he would face? Yeah, exactly. And he warned his disciples very specifically what would happen when he got there. He would be betrayed. He would be, you know, he would be um, rejected. He would be beaten, put to death, and then rise again. It's amazing it never went into the ears of the disciples. They had their own... They had their own agenda. I guess part of the reason I'm asking this, is God gritty? Was Jesus gritty when he was on the earth? Uh, God is steadfast. He's faithful. He's consistent. He never quits, right? He's a non-quitter. Right. He's a winner. Um, so if we are to imitate him as beloved children, like Paul says, I imagine that's a character trait that he's uh, seeking to develop in us. And he uses difficulty to both prove something about ourselves. It, it's a way of revealing to us what we're made of. And uh, what I say in, in my book, that difficulty reveals what we really believe. It, it, it reveals to us what we really are made of and what we really want. You know, you can talk about wanting something to happen and be excited about what something you want to happen. But when you go through a difficult time on that road towards that goal, that proves whether or not you really want what's at the end of that road. And are you willing to keep walking down that road to get it? Sure. Um, Yeah. I've heard someone say that it's really like difficulties and challenges. Trials are really an opportunity to call out the best in us, you know, our best identity, our best mm -hmm. destiny, as far as, as far as God is concerned. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And where where we need to grow, I think every difficulty reveals certain things about us, and we have a choice. Are we going to flee um, from it or fight against it, or are we going to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and allow Him to shape something in us that uh, we didn't necessarily see about ourselves? You know, we're definitely working through a disappointment or a hurt or a wound, and are we going to respond with surrender to Jesus and to let him work in our lives, or are we going to fight or flee from him? So I think uh, perseverance both proves something about our character, but it also has the potential to shape something in our character. Yeah, really helping us to live our best life if we'll persevere. Mm-hmm. So your mm-hmm. book is called Before You Quit, and the uh, byline or the tagline is Everyday Endurance, Moral Courage. And the quest for purpose, the quest for purpose phrase really struck me. I think that's a deep-seated hunger in people, isn't it? To find out their sort of their life story, their, their, their purpose, they're on a quest for that. Yes. I, I talk about three different kinds of perseverance in my book, uh, which is uh, something that I just had an, sort of an epiphany when I was researching to write the book on what others have uh, written about. And two of those are in the title. The, the middle one So everyday endurance, uh, moral courage, but there's one in the middle that I call aspirations for greatness. Okay. And it's probably the one that most Americans are familiar with because we, our culture um, incentivizes us and rewards us for aspiring to great things. This is very common conversation in our culture to aspire to something great. And it can be as, as normal and mundane, if you could call it mundane, as as running a marathon or, you know, completing a 5k race. Mm -hmm. There's, there's some pain involved. There's some difficulty. There's some expected uh, struggles that you are going to go through 
when you run a marathon. Um, it's going to hurt a little bit. I remember the first time I did it, you know, all the guys and gals that advised me who'd done it before, they said, you're not going to finish 26.2 miles without some pain. So get okay. ready. Okay. All right. <laughs> and the question is begged, why would we, why would we do that? You know, nobody's paying me to run a marathon. Uh, at my age, I don't aspire to win. I aspire to finish. <laughs> So the only reward is a, probably a fifteen dollar medal, you know, and I paid a hundred hundred bucks to run the thing. So okay, we aspire to greatness, of course. And there's other aspirations. Every preacher, every teacher, every nurse and doctor, there's an aspiration to accomplish something, to become something. As a Christian, we're doing that. I hope, you know, for the glory of God. Sure. We, we also want a stable life. We want to have a stable income and maybe be respected by our peers. At the end of the day, our aspirations for greatness as a Christian are to glorify God and advance His purposes. Yeah, absolutely. I'd like to come back to that briefly. Let me just tell you about Doug Gaiman. He attended Goshen College and Fuller Theological Seminary, master's and doctorate degrees in missions at Liberty Christian University in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, he served with Globe International. It's a mission. He currently still does. It's a mission sending agency based in Pensacola. And he was a director in 2001 and the president since 2004. Uh, he loves coaching. He loves now mentoring emerging leaders, helping them to discover their giftings and their life direction. He and his wife, Beth, have ministered in nearly 60 nations, four married children, 11 grandchildren, and uh, he's authored three other books in addition to this new release. He loves writing, surfing, cycling, walking, and spending time with his family. Is there anything else, Doug, you'd like to mention personally about your life these days? <laughs> that's a pretty that's a pretty long list. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds like a full life to me. Yeah. And uh, you may have heard of Louis, Louis Palau, the international Christian evangelist. He has said of this book, are you on the verge of giving up? Have you given up? Are you in the second half of your life with nothing but regrets? I really think a lot of people, that's a real issue. Uh, it's, it's not too late to rebound. Doug challenges us to see life and time from God's eternal perspective and to finish strong, applying the reality of eternity to daily pursuits, commitments, and attitudes, living with an eternal perspective in view provides vision, drive, and perseverance. Really glad that you can carve out some time, Doug, today briefly with us on this on this podcast. I appreciate it. Let's come back to that issue of like life quest and, and life purpose and greatness. Now, we know that God is great. Uh, mm -hmm. He's a great king, the Bible says. It's a core uh, part of who he is. is. Is this something instinctive within us because we're created in his image? And especially as we come to Christ... As you say, hopefully with the proper motivation, you know, about the name of the Lord, the fame of the Lord, we too pursue greatness, but we encounter resistance and challenges and opportunities to quit. I, I think the, the desire for greatness, what I call the, an aspiration for greatness, is inherent to the human, it's inherent to human nature. Uh, it is to a certain extent uh, perverted by sin and it becomes more selfish and less altruistic, less selfless mm -hmm. and less, uh, you know, toward other and towards God and his glory. It becomes more selfish, but it's still innate, innate in human nature to do something beyond our ability to strive for something that's more than we are at the current moment. Mm -hmm. um, and so for Christians, I think 
as we recognize our sinful brokenness, you know, that we need salvation that Jesus has provided, as we grow then, we still struggle a little bit with our motivations as we try to seek God's plan for our life and then go after it and have an aspiration to do something great. Um, we're sorting that out as we go. And I don't, number one, I'm old enough now that I don't think that throws God. He's not surprised uh, by our by our brokenness. You know, I, I, I tell people when I talk about this subject, I say we all serve God imperfectly. Um, and God is not thrown by that. His grace, he, he sees that. He works with us. He shapes us. The process can be painful, but he, he wants us to, to aspire to great things. I mean, William Carey, the founder, the father of modern missions, said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. I mean, how, how great is that? Back in the 1700s, he's declaring that. He's this young, poor 20-something-year-old shoe cobbler that ended up going to India and and basically transformed the world as we know it in terms of a missions perspective mm-hmm. for Christianity. So I think God wants that. The big challenge for us as we pursue greatness is to understand greatness from God's perspective. Jesus, uh, you know, in John 17, as he's this long prayer and conversation he's having in the middle of conversing with his disciples, he's saying to God, Lord, glorify your son now, you know, and, and his, his meaning in God glorifying him, Jesus Christ, is the cross. Yeah. So greatness from God's perspective doesn't necessarily mean more money, more public acclaim, more power. It might mean more suffering. It might be more sacrifice with an end in view that actually has impact. So I think it's important for us as Christians to keep that eternal perspective and and be willing to whatever God has. If he wants me to be famous, I'll be famous. If he wants me to go to prison like Paul, I'll serve him in prison and write letters that will last for 2,000 years, you know? Yeah, really. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Our, uh, yeah, the American, you know, dream, the American concept of greatness for the American people who are listening. Um, yeah, it can. Uh, so I, I think that would it be true to say that as we begin to follow Christ and we begin that process and if we're a developing Christ follower, you know, I, yeah. I think Dallas Willard likes to talk about us as an apprentice of the kingdom. So if we're developing as an apprentice of the kingdom, that God is going to wean us away from selfish motivation and, you know, pursuit of greatness for our own grandeur. And it's more about his name and fame, right? Yeah. His, his story yep. and glory. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Tim Keller says, uh, and I think it's uh, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering is the book that he says this in. Uh, I might be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure I do have it in my book. I just can't remember even all everything that I wrote and all my footnotes. So you have to pardon me for that. Oh, I, uh, I but he says that uh, sociologists and anthropologists study cultures okay. of the world. And every culture, one of the things that cultures do is that it, cultures are designed to help meet needs inside this group, this sociological construct. And so they help people with a way to deal with difficulty. So you have ways that people learn how to grieve in the culture that they're in, and they learn how to express their grief and their difficulties. Western cultures are some of the worst at doing that. Mm. 
Um, in Western cultures, we do not know how to grieve. And um, we have a few symbols, forms, you know, like dark clothing, and we have a funeral, and it, there's a few things like that. But in terms of understanding how grief works, Western cultures, cultures are the, as compared to others in the world, are one of the worst at doing this. And that impinges on us as Christians, and and because uh, we're in the culture that we we're in, we we can't help that we're born to the mom and dad, and in the location where we're born, and we become a part of that culture. But I think for us as Christians, we need to learn to be a little, a little, uh, not critical in the bad way, but uh, suspicious of and critical of the culture in which we in we're in, and recognize the influences. And say, God, what do you say about this when I suffer? How, what is your perspective on my difficulty? And what do you want me to do? And how do you want me to live through this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you agree with the phrase that there is something called a theology of suffering? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it really seems to be the case, like when you read Paul or, of course, see the experience of Jesus himself. But Paul seems to talk a lot about that. Oh, yeah. And it's, a, it's a probably a theological perspective that is lacking um, in our in Western cultures, yeah, I'm sure. and we're not familiar with it. Um, but you read Isaiah, Isaiah, you know, Jesus is the seen as, as Isaiah, by Isaiah, as the suffering servant. You know, he, Isaiah 53, he's a man of sorrows, he's acquainted with grief. Um, these are things I remember as a young man when we went through some of the difficulties in our in our lives. I remember thinking, now I know what that means, you know. Being acquainted with grief—it's like I became acquainted with grief, and it certainly wasn't something I wanted. But grief came knocking at my door, and I had to let him in, you know. And um, we all have those experiences. Now I look back on those times, and I—I I believe God gave me a gift. I actually look back with gratitude, saying, "Lord, you helped me to understand in the most." intimate of ways. You help me understand what you go through watching broken humanity that you care for and what we do to ourselves and how much it costs you in Jesus Christ to bring redemption to broken humanity. And now, you now when you understand that, you can, you're able to have more empathy for people who suffer. Paul seemed to welcome it. He seemed to use the language of welcoming suffering because it, it uh, enabled him to know Christ more deeply. Mm-hmm. And would you, would you say that suffering... Uh, if we could say the outcome of suffering, obviously knowing Christ would be core, but does suffering release more life and power of the kingdom in our in our life? Oh, I believe so. In fact, Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, I believe it's verse 24, he says, I thank God, he's in prison when he's writing this letter, I thank God for my sufferings because in it I am filling up what is lacking yeah. in Christ's sufferings for you. And of course, if you don't think about that, what are we talking about here? You know, one of one of our cliches is Jesus suffered so we don't have to. That's right. You know, yeah. he he took our sin upon himself. You know, he died in our place. So theologically, what does Paul mean by that? Well, John Piper, he says that what he what Paul meant by that is that Paul's suffering now is a way for those who have not yet heard about Jesus Christ to see the sufferings of Jesus through the Apostle Paul. Mm. And I think there's something powerful about that when non-Christians can see Christians who suffer and hold on to their faith 
and hold on to their compassion and their love for other people. Not hold on to their faith in anger, but hold on to their faith with love and brokenness for the world. Like Jesus hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, what amazing love that he could be praying for his persecutors. And you see that in the Apostle Paul. He's, I think what he's trying to say is, other people see our suffering for Jesus Christ, and it compels them to say, what is it that these people have, you know, that they are able to forgive, they are able to love, even while they suffer? I think that's what Paul meant in, First Corinthians, in, in Colossians 1. Well, let me ask, Doug, you and your wife have ministered in nearly 60 nations as missionaries, and you've witnessed and seen stories of perseverance, you've experienced it personally, you've probably have seen it in others. How how was that experience in your in your life and ministry as you've observed perseverance and you know this this capacity to not quit? Right. Well I remember the first few years of our planning our ministry, we had gone through a three year internship working with another evangelist actually two for three years with one and then a year with the second. And I remember watching these men and how much they had plotted and how long it took them to go from a vision that existed in their hearts to the reality and fulfillment of that vision. Very successful evangelistic ministries preaching to tens of thousands. And I made a little mental note in my mind, okay, it takes about this many years to make that happen. So when I launch my ministry, I'm going to plan on this many years, you know, so we all got, like I said, at the beginning of our conversation, we all have this little time frame in mind of how yeah. long it's going to take us to get to that success point. Right. Well, that success point time came and went for me. It was about three years and three years passed and nothing was happening. Not nothing, but not what I wanted. Okay. And so we closed in on four and then it's four and a half and I'm crying out to God. I'm saying, Lord, have you abandoned me? Am I off track here? Am I missing something? That's when I went back and started studying at seminary. I didn't leave the field. I just did it by correspondence. Okay. And I was desperate to get some outside help to figure out what I was doing wrong. So number one, the idea of perseverance was an impetus for me uh, to learn, to grow, and not just to get, get stalled. And uh, number two, I learned that in the, in the time of perseverance, the test always is, are you going to quit because you're frustrated, or are you going to hold on and try to grow through it so you get to that moment, uh, you know, we talk call about destiny. You know, you get to that moment of God's assignment when he is going to show up and do something profound. And and that's what I learned. Don't quit. Stay in there. Stay in the game. Yeah. Be willing to learn, be willing to grow. Be and learning and and growing is just tweaking things. It's not abandonment of what what you what you believe. It's just tweaking some yeah. of the things to to learn. So I learned it stay in there in your heart of hearts, stay in and then learn and grow and you will get to uh, where God wants you. Softball question, but does this apply to marriage? Yeah, um, <laughs> I could. I talk about it in my book a little bit. I actually unpack it even more in my third book, White Picket Fences, how Beth and I went through a, a, a terribly difficult time around the 10-year mark of our marriage, and it took us almost a decade to figure it out. 
um, that's a long time to, to stay married when things are not everything that you wish for in marriage. And we had to come face to face with, are we going to quit? You know, are we going to divorce? Are we going to, or are we going to stand in there and hang in there and believe that we can find a solution? And we did, we, and we stayed in there. We decided the D word was not for us. I had to look that dark thing straight in the face and, and look at myself and say, am am I going to be that guy? And I decided I wouldn't. And we hung in there and now we have a happy marriage. We're closing in on 44 years. We got help. We read a lot of books, went to seminars, got counsel, uh, had everything done, medical workups. We tried to figure out what in the heck was wrong with us. And uh, we finally got help. And today, amazing, this Sunday, we're both of us are speaking at our church about Christian marriage. So uh, God is now using our story uh, amazingly, God uses our story. We, sh- we share it very openly and he uses our story to disarm people and say, wow, you really can make it. So yep, yeah, works in marriage too. I, I, yeah, absolutely. I just heard a, a very inspiring teaching and message on marriage. And, and he was saying that, you know, successful married life, our people are married that have like three or four marriages. It's just to the same person. You know, they continue to grow. <laughs> yeah. they, they go through these uh, inflection points, these seasons of growth and transformation, and it keeps, it is like wine, which gets better yep. and better with age. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yep. and and you can apply this to anything, ministry, business, uh, if, if you're in the education space, uh, you know, wh- whatever cause you're connected with, some mission, some, some passion project, there will be points of challenge, right, to quit. Mm. Yes. You will, mm-hmm. you will want to quit. And I'm just going to say that s- Satan is a quitter and God is mm-hmm. not, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know. Something like that. And, um, we, you know, we need to follow in the grit of, of our God and our steadfastness of our God. He will honor our, our steadfastness. Yes. So you are now mentoring emerging leaders. How has that experience um maybe motivated you to write this book? And, and what are you seeing in new generations of emerging leaders? I, I talk about it a little bit. I, I don't actually make name of the different age groups. You know, you've got the Gen Xers and the, the millennials and, and the boomers and the busters, all these different age groups. I avoided uh, mentioning any particular age group in the book, partly because I wanted to write something that was timeless and partly because I think it's disingenuous to point the finger at just one age group. I'm 64, but I remember growing up in the 60s and the 70s, we were we were crazy. <laughs> we're a lot of wild and crazy people. Kind of still recovering some, from that in some sense, aren't we? Well, we know. are. That, <laughs> that post-Vietnam generation is really what set the tone for the generations that followed. And there are guys and gals my age that still haven't grown up, you know, they're just— <laughs> partying and getting over drug addictions. And just, I mean, so I didn't want to pick on any age group. Um, I I think, though, it is true that in our culture, uh, we are not, we are not supported in the culture for the long pull. What, what Eugene Peterson says, the long, what does he call it? The long pull in the same direction. Long pull, Uh, interesting, yeah. 
Yeah. So we're not wired that way. And even a secular writer named Angela Duckworth, who wrote a very good book on perseverance called Grit, she she notes this in her book. She says that there are a lot of young people today, um, and I could say that that was true of my generation when we were young, that think that they're going to start a business or start something, and within a year, it's going to be flourishing. And for 90, 90... Five people out of a hundred, mm. that is not true. You have the you have the 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 rare quick success story, but they are not the norm. And so learning how to just plod and discipline yourself to build something enduring, uh, that is the skills that everyone needs to learn. Whether whether you're a person of faith or not, if you're going to be successful. Uh, as a Christian, though, I believe this, this is vital. Um, as a parent, it, it takes 18 years to raise a child to yeah, what, I was consider say, parent, This has application for parenting and grandparenting big time. Absolutely. And, and in ministry, I think we are not representing the character of God, the character of Christ, if we don't show ourselves patient in a process. Um, that's usually the big test of our imp- our impatient you, impatience usually is directed towards human beings and that means we are treating them not as humans but as objects in our way you know get out of my way you're going too slow you know <laughs> and and that is terrible when we miss opportunities to pray for people to be kind to people on this road towards Christ likeness and toward this road towards accomplishing what God wants to happen through us, it would be a tragedy to have a whole bunch of wounded people on both sides of the road because we were plowing through too plowing fast. Plowing through, the man. Road I'm, towards destiny. <laughs> I really, I, <laughs> slightly convicting. I'm, you know, challenged when I have to do the grocery shopping and, you know, I'm on a mission when I'm in, in a grocery store, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm the, I, I've got to get back to what I'm doing. And so, um, oh yeah, you're in my way. I'm the, I'm the same way. I mean, oh. I write, I'm preaching to myself when I'm writing these words and part of it is just conviction. The, you know, my, my wife is so good about it. She'll sit in the passenger seat if we're driving and I'm complaining about traffic and she'll say, just, you know, it's okay, hon. And she's defending the person in front of me. (laughs) I'm like, you don't know who that is. Yeah. Yeah, That person in front of me, they cannot be doing anything as important as I'm doing. As I was editing this podcast, I uh, was stirred. I was motivated again as I recalled my conversation with Doug some weeks ago. So glad to bring it. It's so needed right now in our in our world. And it's it's needed at all times in this thing we call life. But you're a winner. You are destined to win. And when you come in Christ, you have Jesus DNA downloaded into your spirit. And now it's a matter of growth, development working that out into your psychology, working that out into your physicality, working that out into your domestic environment, your personal world, and your cup and my cup can run over. It can spill over into that that calling that we have, that sphere of concern and influence that we're destined to to reach for Jesus Christ. To learn more about this episode and to dive deeper, go to jesusmart.com keep sweating. We're going to have part two of this conversation with Doug Gaiman next week. Who can you share this with? Think of someone, one person that would benefit from this episode. Email it to them. Send them the link. Get on the social. Spread the word 
about this episode. People need to be motivated and encouraged and really recalibrated to become a steadfast winner. To learn more about the podcast, yes, go to JesusSmart.com. If you're so inclined, it helps to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps to push it out to more people. We have an e-letter which goes out from time to time, most every week. Next level ideas that we seek to bring together there and insights to develop as a Christ follower, as an apprentice of his kingdom. Encourage you to sign up for that free e-letter. Jesus is brilliant, my friend. One thing about Jesus, he's not a quitter. He's a winner. He's a finisher. And he's the author and the finisher of your faith and my faith. He knows how this life works best. Thanks for connecting today. See you next time.